Everyone has to grow up someday. It's part of the reality of life, isn't it? That we can't stay children forever. And that, by the way, goes for the stories that we heard as children, whether those stories include three little pigs or a spider named Charlotte or a very hungry little caterpillar. Those stories that entertained us and informed us and shaped us and even put us to sleep at night when we were kids, we embraced them. But something happened along the way, didn't it? Along the way, we grew up a little, and we started to set aside those stories, those childhood fables, and exchange them for stories that were a little more realistic, a little truer to life. And if that's the case for our childhood stories, it is even more the case for a childhood faith and for the gospel message. Many of us grew up hearing those beautiful words, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's one of the first songs we ever learned in the church. And along with that came this deeper truth that God loves you additionally. Remember those days? Those are the days when such a truth was really simple, yet very comforting. And so we held on to them as kids. But something happened. Along the way, we grew up. And so the simplicities of childhood began to be replaced by the harshness of adulthood. And suddenly, the power of that simple truth of God's love started to feel less relevant. For some... It proved inadequate in the face of the harsh realities of so much suffering in the world today. Some of us began to question, if God really this world unconditionally, then why is there so much brokenness and violence and hatred in the world? How do you reconcile those two things? For others of us, growing up meant confronting the realities of broken relationships, especially with people that we thought we could trust people that we thought loved us unconditionally. And so the very idea of something called an unconditional love was proven to be too unfathomable in the face of too many areas of broken trust. For most of us, the complexities of life, the harsh realities of growing up, began to mark an indelible stain on those beautiful but simple but highly inadequate theologies of a God who loved us unconditionally. And so as we grew up in life, it became harder and harder to hold on to those theologies that seemed much too simple to possibly be true. And deep down inside, I think that's the way that many of us probably treat the story of the prodigal son a story about a father's unconditional love for his child, a love that might be, just might be, too unusual to believe. But I'm wondering something. I'm wondering if it's possible that the sufferings that you and I have gone through in our lives don't negate the simple truths 
of God's love at all. Maybe it's not the case that the harsh realities of life don't dispel the notion of God's love. Maybe they reveal God's love to us in a profoundly new way that we could only experience if we went through the darkness and suffering of life. I'm wondering this. Is there a grown-up message for the childhood story of the prodigal son that you and I need to hear today? Well, we know how the story starts, don't we? It starts with a pretty brash request. The younger son went to his father one day and said, Dad, I'd like to have an advance on my inheritance. I'd like to go out and see the world. Which to our childhood ears, when we first heard the parable, seems like an awfully reasonable thing to expect. I mean, we can't live with our folks forever, can we? One of these days, we'd like to grow up and see the world and try to chart a course for ourselves. There's a part of us that says, there's nothing unreasonable at all about what the younger son was asking his old man. Except when you consider this. And in the ancient Near East, what that son asked of his father was highly scandalous. In essence, in those days, to ask a father for an advance on your inheritance is the equivalent of asking that your father go ahead and die so that he could get out of the way, so that he could have what is rightfully yours. The young man essentially said to his father, you know what? You're worth nothing to me except for the money that is mine. Go ahead and step aside. Go ahead and kick the bucket so that I could have what is rightfully mine already. Can you see scandal and embarrassment and shame that that simple request would have brought on his entire family? It's not a story that we could hear with childhood ears, but we could hear it now. And what's more, the prodigal son was asking for deeper shame and embarrassment beyond his family. Remember that back in those days, the original hearers of this parable would have lived in villages that were entirely dependent on the land, an agricultural economy, where one's way of life, but also one's full identity, was tied to the way that the land connected an individual with an entire village. What the prodigal son was essentially asking was this, I'd like for you to go ahead and sell that land so that I could have the money, so that I could leave this town. And essentially what he was saying was this, I don't want anything to do with any of y'all for the rest of my life. He said y'all, he's part southern, I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> That's the scandal that the prodigal son was inviting on his whole village. Not only did he want his old man dead, he wanted nothing to do with his villagers for the rest of his life. No wonder we didn't hear those words when we were children. Couldn't have handled it then. But you know what? The harsh realities of life, the cold suffering of growing up, we can hear those words now, can't we? You and I have lived those words haven't we? I mean, it, maybe 
we never found ourselves in the bottom of pig slop, hungering and dying of thirst. But I have a hunch that there were some dark moments in your life where you began to question the reality of God's presence in your life, where in fact your heavenly Father seemed dead to you. And maybe there was a point in your life where you were willing to walk away from the community, to walk away from the faith because it wasn't able to handle your deepest questions and your toughest circumstances. And so not only did God seem dead to you, the whole community of the Christian church seemed irrelevant to your life. And so maybe there has been a moment in your life when you dared to imagine a life that was separate from either of those realities. You see, maybe there's something of a grown-up message in this childhood story after all. And if you're feeling that or have ever felt that, then I want you to know you're not alone. Some of the greatest heroes in the history of the Christian church have had prodigal faith as well. Mother Teresa did. Even the great Mother Teresa did. Up in the very end of her life, she was plagued by her own darkness and doubt. St. John of the Cross experienced it in an episode that he continually referred to as the dark night of his soul. And even if these giants of the faith experienced these prodigal moments with their own beliefs in God, then it shouldn't surprise you that you do too. And it shouldn't surprise you that I have too. You might think that such feelings of doubt and disillusionment are not worthy of being called a Christian. That maybe you're ashamed and so you conceal the prodigal tendencies within your own faith journey. But maybe, maybe now is the right time to hear this story again. This story that you've heard as a child might have a message for these grown-up realities of life. It doesn't take long for a person in darkness to identify what happens next in the prodigal son's story. The younger son then took all of that money that he was given and he squandered it. He blew it. The, the Bible says in Luke that the younger son squandered his property in dissolute living. I'm not sure exactly what that means. But I love the way a Benedictine monk named Andrew Barr translated those Greek words. He said the younger son, quote, scattered the substance of himself in dissolute living. That, that is much more vivid imagery. Literally, his life fell apart. He lost his mind. He lost his faculties. He lost his moral compass. There was nothing about him that was integrated at all. He had lost his ability to think straight and to feel purely and to be in loving relationships and to steer a course of decency and honor and righteousness. He had completely lost everything about himself. He had scattered his substance and he had destroyed himself. You see, our, our childhood interpretation of this story is simply that the man blew his money on booze and on gambling and on lust. 
but our grown-up ears hear this story the way Jesus first told the story. Because if you look inside yourself, you can see even in the dark recesses of your own soul exactly what this prodigal son was doing. You can identify ways that you have literally destroyed yourself with, with impure thoughts, the ability to act lovingly, and to be in relationships that are honorable and life-giving. No, I mean, you and I may have never wallowed around in pig slop, Right? But if you admit it, honestly, you are living the kind of life that you really ought to be living. And so, the boy gets desperate. The prodigal son has absolutely no choice left except to go home begging and pleading for a place in his master's, in his father's slave quarters. He is so hungry and desperate for three square meals a day that he turns back home with a plan to beg his father's forgiveness and to treat him as nothing more than a childhood, than a slave, than a servant. And he knows what that means. He knows exactly what that means. He was well-versed in ancient Near Eastern tradition because he remembers what he did to the rest of those villagers just a few short whiles ago. Those villagers who had been so publicly condemned and scorned by this brash young man would have been ready for his return, not with forgiveness, but with consequences and with judgment. And they would have been waiting at the very border of that village for that man to dare to share his face one more time. And they would have been holding a clay pot which would have been prescribed by ancient Near Eastern tradition. And when the man was standing before them, all the villagers would have said to the man, your life is nothing more to us than this clay pot, and they would have shattered it on the ground. It would have been scattered all across the ground as a way of saying to this young man, not only is your presence no longer welcome here in this village that you have publicly embarrassed, but now you are taking your life into your own hands and risking harm to yourself by even coming back. That's what was at stake here. That's how desperate this young man really was. And that is why what his father does is so astonishing. Don't miss the fact that the Bible says that the father, upon catching his son's image in the distance, begins to run toward him. We envision gleeful, celebrative frolic of a father so glad to see his son. But make no mistake, the father was risking a great deal in doing what he was doing, running toward his boy. First, in order to run in those days, you might remember, you would have had to hike up your outer garment so that you didn't trip over the hem of your tunic. And back in those days, exposing your bare legs was to bring public embarrassment upon yourself. But notice, it didn't matter to this father. It didn't matter what kind of embarrassment or shame 
that act would have brought upon himself because he was not only glad to see his son, he wanted to save the life of his son because he was desperately trying to make it to the edge of the village before the villagers got to him. That's what the father was doing. Running, not only to bring embarrassment upon himself, but to risk his own life to save someone who didn't deserve it. And there you can see what Jesus was really saying. This is what unconditional love looks like. That I am willing to lay down my life for you so that I could head off all the forces that want you dead. Not because you deserve it, but because I love you. Can you hear those words from a father to a son when they finally meet up and the son is lost in an incredibly tight embrace by his father? Can you hear the father saying to his son, I love you? The same words that more than likely the son had heard all of his life. That boy probably grew up hearing the words from his father, I love you, but he probably never knew what those words really meant until he left his childhood behind. Until he was willing to enter into the darkness of his own soul, to hit rock bottom, and realize that he was no longer himself. And only after going through the darkest days of his life was he able to experience the sheer power of what his parents' unconditional love really meant to him. As you grow up, and as the harsh complexities of your life, you might be tempted to dismiss the Christian faith as being much too simplistic in order to be real. But it's only in the midst of your darkness that your childhood faith can guide your grown-up life. Unconditional love is something that we'd like to believe in. But if we're honest, for any of us who've been around the block for a while, unconditional love is not something that we've experienced all the time. That's because very few of us can ever really point to someone in our lives who has really loved us unconditionally. Maybe you have a particular person that you thought you could trust, but they failed you. Or someone who said they would love you unconditionally, but they betrayed you. Or maybe every loving relationship you've ever had has had some kind of strings attached. So here, here is what the prodigal son's story tells you today. God's unconditional love for you is not contingent on your ability to comprehend it. God's unconditional love for you does not depend on your ability to believe it. It doesn't even depend on your ability to accept it. Because God's love is unusual because you don't expect it. And God's love is unconditional because you don't deserve it. And what's more, at that very moment, when you come to your senses and you begin to turn toward God to confess your sins, you know what? It turns out that you see God 
running toward you. Just as God has been running toward you your entire life, ready to say to you, welcome home. And if that's true of God's unconditional love for you, it is also true of the way that you can unconditionally love other people. That's the true power of this final act of the story. You know, Luke could have very easily ended the story with that embrace and with the killing of the fatted calf and the sandals and the ring and the robe and the, and the celebration, or as, or as Flossie demonstrated, the celebration. <laughs> Truth is, the story could have ended right there, and it would have made a nice bedtime story. But this is where Luke wants to make it more than a bedtime story. He wants to make it a grown-up story, too. So he introduces a third character, an older brother, who was there simply to echo our own doubts and our disbelief about the reality of unconditional love. He shows up, he surveys the scene of this celebration, and he goes, something is wrong here. This younger son who brought shame upon our family is getting something he doesn't deserve. And there he echoes the deep part of us that says that forgiveness is irrational. For us to forgive someone who has wronged us doesn't make sense, and there is no part of it in our lives. That's what the older brother is saying. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, justice needs to be served. If someone hurt me, we need to hurt them back. And if you and I are honest, we can identify with that as well. So here's the twofold point of the, of the prodigal son story. Not only does God's love reconcile us vertically between ourselves and God, God's love enables us to reconcile horizontally with every human being that we meet. Even the ones that have wronged us? Yeah. Even the ones who deserve punishment? Yeah. Even the ones that I have a hard time loving and forgiving? Yeah. Even my enemies? Especially those. And this, this is where our grown-up faith really kicks in. Because now you can identify exactly those people that you need to forgive. The Spirit is probably calling to mind exact individuals and hearkening stories to your recollection of people that you have had a hard time reconciling with. There's a part of us that wants to be that elder brother. But you know what? God's unusual, unconditional love won't let us because once God loves us, we then have the power to love others. I wonder how this story applies to you today. Do you need to experience God's love for the first time in a long time? Do you need to learn to love someone else who has wronged you? The truth of the matter is, we're all prodigals. We're all elder brothers, and we have been loved by an unusual 
and unconditional love of a God who is running toward us. Let's pray together. Oh God, your Spirit is working in us and among us today. This story that we have heard as children, we are hearing with grown-up ears. We acknowledge that the brokenness and suffering in our lives do not negate the simple truths of your love for us. In fact, they reveal those truths to us in a much deeper way. And so even right now, you are calling to mind people that we need to forgive or people from whom we need to ask forgiveness. It might seem impossible and unjust, but your love, your love that reconciled us, saved us from sheer death and brought embarrassment upon yourself, your love makes it possible for us to forgive. May this week not come to an end before we have taken some tangible act of reconciliation with someone else. And may this day not go by before we thank you for your unusual and unconditional love. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.